It's the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we dig into ideas and innovations that will help improve cost, quality, and health outcomes, and make healthcare better for patients and clinicians. And I'm your host, Don Siemens. I count myself lucky to be part of a growing community who wants to promote and use today's innovations to build a better healthcare system. So I want to say thank you to everyone who is contributing to that. Thank you for listening. Thanks to everyone who's subscribed to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. And really, thank you to everyone who's written a five-star review and and been part of this community. Today's guest is Zach Holdsworth. He is the co-founder and CEO of Hint Health. Prior to Hint, Zach was the VP of Business Development for Wellness FX, which is the first direct-to-consumer clinical diagnostics slash telemed company in the U.S. Zach started his career as an electrical engineer within the manufacturing and medtech sectors, and he was a technology consultant for a number of leading United Kingdom brands, including the Financial Times, Tesco Digital, and Thomson Reuters. So, Zach, talking about Hint Health, when I was doing some research into it and, and reading about your your journey, you don't shy away from what I see as one of the world's biggest challenges, and that's reforming the U.S. healthcare system. And I'm just going to jump right in. How do you see that happening? Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for having me, but it's good to be here. Um, I mean, I think at a fundamental level, if you, in order to transform U.S. healthcare, it's it's just not possible to do so by kind of continue, continuing to incrementally innovate on top of the, essentially on top of the insurance fee-for-service chassis. Uh, and so from my perspective, in order to transform healthcare, we really need to slowly but surely rebuild the system from, from the ground up. Um, and on the principles of price transparency, um, low administrative overheads, and perhaps most importantly, um, incentive alignment, or really kind of eliminating all the perverse incentives in the traditional system. And um, yeah, and so I, I at a kind of at a fundamental level, I think if we don't do that, we, we we won't really ever truly transform US healthcare. We'll make we'll make it better, but it won't be won't be able to operate at the top course, you know, the top one percent of healthcare systems in the world. Mm. So, considering your background, Zach, why is this a problem that you want to solve? And you know, you've, you're a talented guy. You could focus on so many other challenges. Why this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, um, you know, originally, I'd say wasn't super interested in getting involved in healthcare um, because it was it just seemed so bureaucratic and broken. But I, you know, my experience, I came out of Stanford and I, I kind of wanted to do something that would help people, and I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And I just found myself in a healthcare company, um, and from there, but I, I was sort of quite naive. I didn't really know what was going on. But it was there that I really learned the scale of the problem. Um, and and started to just realize that how wasteful the system is. And, and probably the most um, relevant stat I like to share is, is that we wasting wasting close to NASA's combined budget since inception every every year in the US healthcare system. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, there's if I can help impact this, then I'll I'll be able to sort of essentially help not bankrupt the US economy um, and um, we can allocate those resources to other places, and in the, at the same time, we can help people and give people, be, you know, better access to a fun, you know, a, a fundamental thing that we should have in society, which is good, good access to healthcare. So I kind of just got passionate about what are transformational things we can do to, to change the U.S. healthcare system, and decided to start a company kind of on that foundation. So Zach, you grew up in New Zealand, which has a very different system from what we have here in the United States. Are there similarities between what you're working toward at Hint and what you experienced in New Zealand? Not necessarily, actually. Um, I would say the New Zealand system is fairly close to, um, well, it has a lot of similarities to um, the NHS in the UK, which I also experienced. I'd say, you know, maybe it's oversimplifying it, but the way the, the system works in New Zealand, I would say is essentially Medicare for all um, mm. uh, with with a private sector insurance that sort of you can get access to. And I, I'm actually, you know, the system in New Zealand is, is, is great and everything, but I'm not necessarily 
pushing for that in the US. I think the US is just a different beast and has different needs. And yeah, honestly, I, I'm, I'm not sure even if New Zealand's got it perfectly right. Um, mm. So um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's that's the best kind of comparison I've, I could come up with. It's basically a Medicare for all type approach, which has some advantages, right? Certainly. Uh, again, not a not a not necessarily an advocate for it, but um, you know, clearly, um, well, in, New Ze- in the New Zealand system, you know, anyone can get access to healthcare um, mm-hmm. pretty much any time, um, and it's free basically um, right. for, for the most part. And so, you know, there's obvious benefits to society if people can get access. The the downside is you end up with a kind of a system that's kind of essentially run by the government. And, um, you know, and, and I'd question whether or not the government is the right, you know, should be managing, you know, the one of the largest GDP items, right, directly. So mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily if I would propose Medicare for All as a solution to the US. Yeah. Um, the thing that, um, you know, the, the thing that I think is really important um, whether or not it would be, you know, kind of more of a, a government-funded solution or more of a private sector solution, one of the things I think is really important is that we don't build whatever it is we end up building on top of the fee-for-service chassis, of the insurance fee-for-service chassis. We don't run all of that innovation through those rails, which we know are broken. Um, I think it's really important that we recreate these systems from first principles and in doing so, make sure we bring price transparency and make sure we bring in, ensure that there's incentive alignment, that there's very little or no overhead, and that we're not um, kind of overcomplicating the system with multiple sort of um, middlemen, if you will, that are not necessary in today's day and age. Mm. So that's that's kind of where I think the um, why I'm so enamored by the sort of emerging kind of direct care, direct primary care models, yeah. which um, you know, which is obviously where we're focused at Hint, because yeah. they are not necessarily an ivory tower sort of thing that you you sort of have to imagine. Imagine if this was to work. It's, these are actually things that are working in the wild, right? Like that, you know, these are these are models that are proving that they can reduce costs while improving outcomes and improving patient satisfaction and and physician you know satisfaction and 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 these are actually things that are working. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, you know, I consider it just basic economics that whenever there's a middleman, costs rise, and that's completely true in the healthcare system. From my perspective, the more involved insurance has been in the United States, the more costs have risen. You can see that, especially in Medicare. And with HHS's involvement in DRG-based payments, you know, when Medicare gets implemented, cost skyrockets. When DRG get implement, gets implemented, cost skyrockets. And that that's true of the insurance system as well, the, the private healthcare insurance. That became a perk back in, I think, the 30s or the 40s uh, when, I think it was the 40s during the war, during World War II, when... Our government didn't allow people to be, um, didn't, didn't allow wages to rise uh, during wartime for some reason. So there were there were different benefits that companies were trying to to bring into play, and and one of those was was health insurance. And when that middleman came in, my goodness, costs rose. Yeah, and it was tax advantage as well. So you ended up in a situation whereby yeah. the only way you can essentially give people pay wages rises. And it was tax advantage, so it was a more efficient way to, to do that. And so it became that it sort of eventually at the time actually, I mean, you can see why that was why that decision was made, right? It was actually yeah. a rational decision. But this is the I would argue the greatest example of the law of unintended consequences in history, right? And it's and it's and it's led to literally trillion dollars a year in waste, right? Like this is like I don't know what size economy that is, but it's probably top ten just in terms of the waste in the US healthcare system. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the thing that I like to say though, is, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not against insurance. Like I think insurance is a 
key fundamental building block in society. We need insurance. Um, but we need, to, it's important, I think, within the context of healthcare that we understand that the insurance kind of system has been kind of used as a, as a tool in the wrong place. Right, and insurance should be used for insuring catastrophic things that one can't afford. Right, so the equivalent of completely totaling your car. Right, right. like if you can't afford to buy a new car, then you probably want to get insurance. But if you know, but if you need to replace your get a few, you know, fill up with gas, which by the way, like when I filled my car with gas, it cost me more money than it would probably to have a doctor's appointment in some cases. <laughs> right, so right. so the equivalent of like. Leveraging a, a very heavy, um, complex system um, to fill your car up with gas just wouldn't make any sense, especially if in order to get your fill, car filled up with gas, you need to call the cops to get them to submit a, help you submit your claim. <laughs> right. right, like that's the that's the analogy, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And so what yeah. I'm advocating for here is let's ensure that insurance is leveraged where it should be, right? Which is for you know, which just every other industry, look at what they do, let's use insurance for that. And then leverage price transparent, pre-negotiated, incentive aligned business models that allow um, the system to operate like any other free market would um, across both retail and employer, um, because we're not gonna get rid of employers paying for healthcare for any time soon. Mm -hmm. and, and then leverage insurance for what it should be used for. And my belief there is if we are able to roll out those types of solutions then will fundamentally change the you know kind of unit economics and just the way care is delivered in the US. You know, there was a time when that was just how it was, you know, before all these middlemen got into our healthcare. And it's just kind of been a vicious cycle that's built on itself uh, in terms of cost. I think our, the quality of our care has improved over time because we've had uh, access to really high levels of care that we may not have been able to get access to had we not gone this route. But, you know, there was a time when healthcare in the United States wasn't dominated by health insurance companies, wasn't dominated by the government. You know, Medicare is 40% of the market or something like that. I, I don't have the, the numbers off the top of my head, but that's that's what comes to mind. What's it going to take to get us back to that point where we don't have to rely on these intermediaries to, you know, get us not just the pedestrian care, the care that we get on a regular basis when we don't feel threatened, but the care that, and maybe those are two different things. Maybe the care that we, the care, that the pedestrian care is, is what you're talking about and the care that when we're truly threatened by a major accident or a heart attack or cancer like that, maybe that's where uh, we need something that 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 does have intermediaries. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you've got a um, you know, and if you've got an insurance, um, yeah, maybe I reframe. Uh, in, insurance is complicated, right? If you yeah. crash your car, it's annoying. <laughs> like you have to call <laughs> them, and you know, you, you figure out, you take photos of it, and you get. Maybe sometimes you have to get a police report and. That's a complicated process and it's expensive and there's overhead. And that's just the way I think insurance should be for catastrophic things in healthcare as well. It, it should be a bit annoying and hard to abuse and so on and so forth um, for yeah. the, 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 those things. For everything else, keep it simple. Um, and I think part of the challenge, I think the intentional question is like, how do we get from where we are to where we want to be? And I think part of the yeah. challenge is this is a complex system. It's It's a interlinked system with many different stakeholders that are all kind of moving together, right? Um, uh, in, in order to transform the system, I don't think you can kind of take any single, you've got employers, you've got brokers, you've got um, you know, benefit advisors, you've got healthcare providers, you've got systems, um, you've got patients, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. of these stakeholders are all interlocked into um, a sort of a complex system that's hard to break out of. And if any single one of them tries to move alone, they won't succeed, right? If you if you right. just have a renegade patient go, you know, if you have a renegade doctor just going at it alone, they'll do well, but they won't by themselves be able to transform the system. And they may, you know, that, that they're going to start to need to work with local employers 
um, they're going to start to need to work with brokers that have figured out, okay, maybe there's a better way. Um, you know, they start to work with local health systems that, hang on, you know, is there a way we could actually go direct and have a price transparent cash rate for these imaging centers in our network? Um, and so maybe the point I'm trying to make is that the way I tend to see the, the system evolving is, um, is sort of small kind of pockets of innovation where mm. all of the stakeholders are taking a little bit of a leap. To, and this is what I'm seeing happen within direct primary care. You've got a provider that steps outside the traditional fee-for-service system. They they start typically with a you know a retail setting where they charge a fixed monthly fee for basically unlimited access to primary care, telemedicine, urgent care. They negotiate some cash rates with local you know imaging and specialists, and, and often will have a cash rate for labs. Um, they'll they'll you know plug into um, uh, they'll you know, plug into the local community and start to build their panels up that way and build and doing so build a really good business and have really happy patients. And from there, they'll typically start to, you know, work with local employers to say, hey, hang on, is this something we could bring to your employee population? But then you end up in a situation where the employer is now stuck with this problem of, okay, I've got my traditional fee-for-service kind of um, chassis here that I'm sort of working within. I'm going to need to work with my broker to help me figure out how to, you know, carve out this primary care thing, well, because while maintaining the existing network I have, because I can't mm-hmm. just go cold turkey on my, on my employees, and so you got to slowly, kind of, but surely, carve more and more of the system out together, and um, and that's really the way I think about it. Now, the the, the thing I challenge people to is that this is not necessarily an easy transition, and there's friction in it, and it, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. So the challenge to folks who are listening who are thinking, wow, this seems complicated, is it is, but it's worth it. Um, and the way I think, the way I tend to think about it is you need to take, like, if you don't at least try, it's like if you don't ask for something, you don't get it. Right? In yeah. this instance, if you don't try to innovate and try to step outside the kind of the status quo we're locked in, you're for sure not going to reduce your total cost of care. Yours, as an employer, your costs are going to continue to rise compounding in the five to ten percent range per year you mm-hmm. might be able to on the margin improve it on with the tools that are coming out you know within the insurance systems but but you're not going to ever reduce costs um, and improve quality and so if you want to get there you take the leap figure out how to become part of these local communities of group that are saying to push towards these direct care type models and um, and hire people in your HR departments that are thinking innovatively like this. Seek out brokers and advisors that are already starting to look at ways of transforming healthcare. Try to find local doctors and providers that are pushing the boundaries here and 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 form a connection with them. Um, and so, yeah, it's just we all just need to push in the same direction and stop being trapped. You know, my thesis is that we essentially have a form of Stockholm syndrome in the U.S. healthcare system. Hmm. Right, we're essentially falling in love with our captors. Right. And, you know, which is just, you know, that's not good. <laughs> like we, you know, you know, Stockholm syndrome is not good, but it's, it, it's hard. It can be hard to not love your captors. Well, I, I do think that's true. I think we do have Stockholm syndrome. We're, we're addicted to our middlemen. People love Medicare. People love their employer sponsored insurance. Uh, how can, how can doctors working in a direct primary care model give their patients the same peace of mind that their insurance gives them? Yeah, well, I mean, in many cases, you get more peace of mind when you have a direct primary care um, uh, relationship um, because you've got someone that's actually going to be available to see you, um, available to, um, for the most part, you know, our clients have same-day, next-day appointments, and they're all virtual. They're all, they've all been doing virtual care for years, right? So yeah. um, when COVID hit, our clients started to thrive, you know, um, and actually, you know, instead of going out of business, they actually grew their panels and they, they their utilization actually of virtual just tweaked a little bit more towards virtual versus more in person, which was pre-COVID, but it's the same mod, underlying model was there in place. So as a, if you think about it, um, it's really a positioning and packaging problem, right? I, if, you, if you have a, if you're a doctor that's offering a direct primary care model, and you've got a patient that's saying, well, hang on, you know, I've, I've got, you know, I've got this insurance offering here. How do you compare and contrast to that? 
Well, at a very high level, um, first thing is, is well, you're going to be able to have, um, I'm going to help you navigate that system as your doctor. Is your current doctor going to do that? Well, you know, they're not really paid to do that. Mm-hmm. Their incentive is to, uh, is, is not really to spend time helping you understand all of your comorbidities and all of your, um, you know, and, and really understanding how to holistically treat you as a patient. They're incentivized to see you and make a referral and get on to the next patient just because that's the the the, the way the system works. That's volume-based right. care. Um, and so it's really just about packaging, hey, I'm going to, you know, for the most part, our clients will end up actually saving you money, even if you also have insurance. Because what will happen is that you'll end up needing some imaging and you'll be on a high deductible plan because most Americans are on a high deductible plan, I think, with a greater than three or four or $5,000 deductible, whatever it is. And so to the extent where you have a direct primary care doctor in your back pocket, they'll often, you know, if you need imaging, they'll give you the option. Do you want to go to the, this imaging center and spend 100 and, and we're going to bill, you know, $150 through insurance. It's going to be a $25 copay up front. Right. By the way, you're only at 500 of your deductible. So you're essentially going to be paying 175 out of pocket. Or would you rather just take this cash rate we've negotiated, which is $75 cash up front? And you're not, it's not going to come off your deductible. You're not going to be leveraging your insurance, but you're going to save $100. And so there's examples like that where, um, you, you know, you're able to start to kind of pull apart the kind of insurance system um, while maintaining that catastrophic coverage if you do actually need, need it. Um, and, of course, what I'm really excited about is we have a number of plan, um, kind of innovative health plans that are staying to partner with us Mm-hmm. They're actually integrating direct primary care type models into their plans. So groups like Decent or um, Unify Health is another example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, we also collaborate with a lot of the kind of cost sharing groups as well. Um, and so there's alternatives to the traditional kind of insurance models um, that are worth considering. Well, it's interesting. California has really been kind of at the vanguard of, of improving just the way insurance works and, and trying to drive down costs. I mean, costs in California for just for, for just about everything are really high, but uh, in comparison to the rest of the United States, but they've been doing some really interesting things for years to do that. So you might be in the right spot. Yeah, potentially. I mean, um, we're, although we sort of focus, I'd say nationally, we, we don't um, necessarily focus on California, but it's, mm-hmm. It is a big market for us, but we're, we're, you know, I think a lot of the innovation also is happening, you know, um, you know, in the middle of the country as well. <laughs> we mm-hmm. have uh, uh, blue collar workers that are, you know, working in a plant or something and that, you know, the extent where you're able to go, you know, and, and the co- total cost of their health care is, you know, if you, if you add it up, it turns out to be you know, 25% of their total compensation or something. Oh, and it's crazy. not that good. Yeah. Right, it's it's like kind of sucks, um, and they don't really understand this what how to offer, leverage a system and don't feel necessarily covered, um, and so you bring a direct primary care offering in and you start to carve out try you know if you're a self-funded employer that's kind of looking after these people, um, you know, start to figure out okay why don't we put put in place fix the primary care piece okay for our employees so they've got access they know they've always got someone to fall back on. And then slowly but surely start to figure out, okay, can we carve out this? Um, can we carve out, you know, more and more of the traditional insurance fee-for-service chassis, um, which is complicated. I know it's complicated for an employee to do that, but, you know, mm-hmm. over time, um, they'll be able to improve the quality of care for that for that worker and reduce their costs at the same time by a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. and, um, and that's the light at the end of the tunnel from my perspective. Yeah, and I, and I, my view is, and my view on it, just well, maybe finalize sure. another point here. My my view on this is the employer, you know, employers are responsible for I think you know seven hundred or so you know, plus billion or whatever it is in healthcare spend. I don't think that's going away anytime soon, mm-hmm. right? So my view is, okay, well, can we work with that stakeholder, right, and and help them improve, but do so in such a way that they're, they're sort of getting off the 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 insurance fee-for-service bandwagon. You know, that uh, insurance fee-for-service chassis that you talked about, I I think it's pretty apparent to most people who are looking at the the healthcare system and and worried about cost that that's the the cost driver. And 
you know, for the last decade, the United States has slowly tried to get off of that, get off of that chassis. And maybe it's, maybe it's not the chassis. And that's really the question that I have for you. We talk a lot in the healthcare industry about going from fee-for-service to value-based care. And value-based care, in a lot of senses, is built on that chassis. Yeah. You know, it's, we, not, we, it's not in a lot of senses. It's like pretty much just straight up built on top of the insurance <laughs> service chassis. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about what you think about value-based care and, and whether that's uh, – whether value-based care is, is – is, has any promise in in truly reducing our, our dependence on fee-for-service? Yeah, I mean, my, my view on value-based care is, is a lot of the principles are sound, um, but for the most part, we're the, 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 you know, for the most part, what we're doing is we're essentially sitting on top of the insurance fee-for-service rails. So value-based mm-hmm. care providers still submitting claims, right? right. Um, there are, you know, there are, um, you know, the, the, I think the last time I looked, the total cost per physician per year to report quality measures is like 50 grand or something or, or 70 grand. I can't remember what the number is, but it's like a high number. Just for reporting? Well, uh, it's, yeah, um, essentially, yeah, to do so properly, right? Um, and and uh, again, don't quote me on that one. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but but it's it's something absurd, right? Um, right. And, the at the end of the day, it's not kind of working either, right? Like, like you know, it's been a decade and we have still, and the costs are still skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, and the the way I tend to think about it is that, you know, and I, again, I'd say it's if, if anything, I'm not, not really an expert on value-based care. Um, it's, it's, I've sort of been tried to, I, I like to think of myself as like sort of a first principles thinker. It's like, okay, let, let's just sort of think about this from first principles and design a system that in theory will work at scale, right? Um, and my hypothesis is that what we're doing for the most part with value-based care isn't the answer and will continue not to be the answer, right? Um, <laughs> over over the next decade. And um, I'm happy to sort of elaborate as to why, but that's kind of my high level thinking. Yeah, well, let's, let's get into that. Uh, it, it, it's not the answer. We've, we've been working on it for a decade. I think we're making progress. Uh, I've been a cheerleader of value-based care on this podcast and in, in other areas as well. Tell me why I, uh, I should jump off the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, I, and again, I'm not suggesting jump off the bandwagon. I just think that the, you know, many of the principles of value-based care right, are sound. Okay, so the idea of, okay, we're going to pay you a, you know, for performance, right? We're going to pay you to reduce costs. Okay, well, that's a pretty good idea. Um, problem is, like, how do you measure that, right? And the way it's currently measured, at least from my understanding, is it's measured by you submit a bunch of claims and then you kind of, like, try to benchmark them and you can kind of compare them to cohorts and kind of ben- and you end up sort of with a situation where you're kind of benchmarking a cohort of people um and then going to trial, you know, leverage the insurance fee for service system to kind of like um, uh, share data mm-hmm. back with, say, your employer. What, what versus, uh, and what you end up with is, well, there's a couple of things happen. What for the first, uh, at least as it relates to primary care, um, what you end up with is if you if you think about it, um, if let's say you're, you know, you're a pro- Provider, and you're going to an employer and say, "Cool, you're going to pay me. Um, you're going to pay me a you know performance bonus for reducing costs, okay?" And so, of course, the employer is like, "Great, that seems like a good deal. So I'll pay you a small amount up front, and then I'll pay you a bunch of money when you save me money." Mm. So you come in a year or so in, and you've saved them a bunch of money, and you end up getting paid a chunk of change, and then you end up in a situation where you, where where and if you and by the way, if you take that chunk of change and you divide it by the number of patients, it's probably going to be like you know, 50 to $100 a month range is what you end up with, is, at least within the primary care setting. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen is year two, three, four, five, 10, 20, your bench, what's happening to your benchmark is you're not, you know, you can't just keep reducing costs, right? You can't just keep right. improving outcomes. So what you end up with is um, a situation where you eventually, if you sort of steady state it, 
right? Long term, mm -hmm. you end up in a situation where you're like, okay, well, just pay me a, a monthly fee to look after these patients. And if I do a good job, keep paying me and keep adding, you know, expanding to your other office locations, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And if I don't do a good job, fire me and find someone that can do a good job. But you don't, you know, and, you know, all of the costs and overhead associated with all of the value-based kind of metrics and tracking performance and, and comparing it to the various cohorts and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's all work that should happen. But if your entire business model and found, is built on that foundation, now you end up in a situation where it's really hard to, to, to pick apart the incentives and make mm -hmm. and, and the complexity of, like, just managing that whole system is very complicated. Mm -hmm. Versus in a model where you say, okay, we're going to pay you this, you know, we, this, um, relationship's going to be, we're going to pay you this amount of money per employee per month. Um, for these predefined set of services, um, any services that fall outside of those, you're going to we're going to charge. The, you know, for, let's say for imaging, it's going to be this much for X-rays, or pass that through at cost. Um, of course, we're going to make sure the physician is recommending that they get an X-ray. We're not going to just let patients just randomly get X-rays. Mm -hmm. um, but there'll be sort of some gating there. But you'll let physicians be physicians, and and um, and what you end up with is. And then what you do is you you have you sort of have the provider le leveraging data to ensure that they are managing the population appropriately. They they they're bringing in new tools and, and technology to ensure that they're um, they're doing a good job. But you have it sort of be the value-based part of it is more in, in kind of a, a tool that has been used to improve care versus the entire foundation with which the relationship is built on top of. Because then it um, then it will lead to inevitably you know um, incentives and misaligned incentives and abuse and all this other stuff, and you end up with a situation where you're sort of back to square one, mm -hmm. um, and costs haven't gone down much, right? Yeah. Or at least, and so it's just I think what I'm I'm not necessarily advocating sort of get off the value-based care tr trend. I'm just advocating for is there a better way that's just more simple, easier mm -hmm. to understand? But everyone knows what the costs are across all the nodes in the network, right? Uh, everyone's able to, you know, sort of have a high-level understanding of what it means to do a good job and sort of aim towards that. Leverage technology and tools and data to try to enable that and then kind of rinse and repeat and go from there. And my thesis there is you would have just eliminated the 30% overhead from the kind of traditional status quo system and you probably end up with just a bunch of savings. We well, don't probably. You do, right? Yeah. We've got clients that are saving millions of dollars, right, um, for their for employee groups, um, and improved patient satisfaction, improved decrease in ER claims, a bunch of reduction in hospital claims, reduction in surgical care, improved, mm. you know, patient satisfaction, um, and employers are you know really happy, and the doctors love their job because they've restored the love of medicine, and yeah. they don't have like a billion bucks boxes to make sure they're value-based payments come through um, right. and, you know, and, and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, knowing what the costs are. I mean, you you, uh, you touched on a lot of things, but knowing what the costs are across all the nodes in the network, man, that's <laughs> that's a tall order these days. Well, it is a tall order, but inside our ecosystem, that's just truth. It's like, just, it's it just what it is. Right, mm -hmm. so our clients like have it. This is our rate. Um, we're planning to, historically, we've been focused on supporting you know, for the most part, primary care, uh, virtual first groups or, you know, direct primary care groups or kind of NESA on-site clinics that are working with employers or individual retail um, DPC clinics. And so that's where we're in focus. And, you know, our system is a, you know, essentially membership management, billing, enrollment, eligibility, all the things they need to do to operate this business model. Um, but what we're planning on doing, um, you know, in the coming years is starting to integrate downstream care into the ecosystem because you know you not we you know and all of the not you know nodes in the network might not be the right name for it but hmm. all of our clients are essentially offering a price transparent pre-negotiated um you know incentive aligned model and there's no reason we can't start to enable kind of more and more groups to come into this community hmm. um, and integrate in with these providers in a way that allows them to say okay well you know, now, now, Mr. Employer, my I'm doing primary care, and I've actually got a, a, a essentially an, an imaging network in place where you, mm -hmm. you can inherit my prices, 
and you don't need to put that through the insurance chassis and it's 75 bucks for an x-ray an x-ray instead of if i send you my the same employee on your fee-for-service chassis rails to the same imaging center it's 125 bucks plus a 25 dollar copay oh and by the way the patient's not going to go because they can't afford the copay <laughs> because it's yeah. actually 25 dollars is a lot of money for you know for the majority of americans um mm. let alone the 175 that they will pay because they haven't had their deductible yet um and so the idea is is that kind of our vision i guess at hand is to slowly but surely just carve more and more of kind of predictable um services that shouldn't be uh you know put through insurance into these into these uh, direct care models and and just enable the ecosystem to, fl to flourish and thrive. You know, it sounds to me like the key word there is predictable. I want this to be more of a question than a statement, but I guess I'll just start with a statement. It seems to me like it's going to be more and more difficult as you get downstream because specialty care, there, there are certain things about, you know, specialty care, that that is predictable like you take orthopedics one of the reasons why we can do bundles is because it is predictable um, but there are certain parts of areas of specialty care uh, that that are, are less predictable and when you get into acute care it seems to me that that some of that is is quite unpredictable most of it is quite unpredictable what do you think about the future in in terms of direct i don't want to say primary care direct care um, when it comes to specialists and when it comes to acute care? Yeah, I'd say, um, so a few thoughts there. First of all, um, I'd say common predictable care, right? So, um, you know, maybe if you're using the car analogy, right? Well, actually, for a start, I think we, people should have the choice, right? If you want to insure absolutely everything, well, you can buy an insurance plan that covers absolutely everything. You're just paying kind of a high, a lot of premium for that. Right. Um, you know, but you can't, it's not really even possible to get an insurance plan that covers like fueling your car up, right? Which <laughs> I'd argue is kind of like essentially like primary care, right? Like mm. you, you shouldn't, you, you know, you need to fuel your car up. You know, you need primary care. Why? Right. You know why, like you know, why just add a thirty percent margin to that and break it at the same time? Right. But your question, you know, when I when I sort of have a ding, or or my you know windscreen, one of the little corners of my car is smashed in and I've, I've lost a few things. Do I pay one hundred and fifty bucks just to get it fixed, or do I go and try to make sure I'm insured for that and go and do it? So common predictable or like inexpensive things, I would argue you for the most part, you want to keep out of insurance. And a lot of the time specialists, you know, when you're paying them cash are, you know, the equivalent of from a cost perspective of maybe replacing, you know, a little bit of your smashed windows. Mm -hmm. um, right. Um, as it relates to things like um, insurance bundle, you know, surgery or the like, I mean, Again, as an individual, okay, maybe you want to have an insurance cut layer that starts to kick in at say five grand or something, right? But everything, you know, and so you end up with a 15 grand surgery. Okay, well, you end up paying five grand. But there may be there are people that's like, for example, for me, when I insure my car, I kind of like, I just mostly insure it in case I have have a million dollars of liability from hitting someone. If mm. I total my car, for the most part, the way I tend to think about it is I'll just, buy, I'll just like eat to that. And I'll try not right. to total my car because I know I'm paying that premium. It's some over net, you know, my lifetime, I'll probably have more money as a result of that decision, <laughs> yeah. right? Because someone's going to make money. But if I couldn't afford that, then okay, yeah, I'm going to pay someone to insure. So as an individual consumer of healthcare, I want to be able to essentially self-insure myself for a ten or fifteen thousand dollars surgery because right. I'd rather save the two or three grand a month that I'm going to pay by by not leaning on the kind of a antiquated chassis that doesn't make any sense. Um, however. Uh, and then if you think about employers, well, that's, you know, for an employer, th that's a common predictable thing for them. If you have a thousand employees, surgery is a common predictable, you know, you're going to have people that need surgeries. Mm -hmm. So why insure that? If you're, you know, if, again, if you're five employees, maybe you do insure it, but if you're a thousand, you're self-funded, why run that through the FIFA service chassis? Mm -hmm. If you can go off and get a pre-negotiated price transparent, 
much more inexpensive relationship with a surgery center that can deliver a higher quality surgery at a lower cost if you pay them cash. Ah, that's interesting. So the way I tend, and so, um, and again, I'm not against insurance. I just tend to think of it as, you know, leverage insurance to to um, cover risk that you cannot afford to cover yourself. Mm -hmm. um, don't use it just because that's we have Stockholm syndrome. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and and then I would also argue that when you break things out and you unbundle them. Even for specialists, you know, PT, mental health, um, um, you know, many different specialties, um, and even you know, urgent care and well, urgent care in my mind is essentially just primary care, right? If you have right. the doctor, you can see that day. Um, right. You know what? You know, a lot of the time, they, these are things that cost a hundred bucks or a few hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. If you can save someone, you know, a, a net, um, you know, a few hundred dollars a month because their insurance premiums are much 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 lower then they can just save up that three hundred dollars and pay mm -hmm. cash when it comes up versus yeah. you know and so yeah my view is that there's no excuse to just continue to run all the stuff through the insurance fee service test it just doesn't make sense it's just absurd when you think about it what's going on right now in the u.s healthcare system well you have definitely given me some food for thought and again i'll just i'll just reiterate i'm not what i'm i know what i'm suggesting might sound a little bit insane and sounds complicated and everything and i would agree it is complicated and it it is it's it is a i'm not it's a it's a tall order what i'm asking right but we should at least aim to not suck right like we should at least have a goal of not being the most expensive and not the best healthcare system in the world like not the best by a long shot at this point from a, just if you look at the statistics various people put out yeah and and the most cost effective <laughs> it's that should be the goal yeah, I 100% agree with you. I, I, I want to get your perspective on on the sucking part of it because I think there's so much that we could say about health outcomes in the United States in terms of just mortality rates, the age that in which we die, maybe even the quality of life. But it seems like that has so much more to do with factors outside of the healthcare system and the healthcare system itself. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, but is it though? You know, like, yeah, Maybe. Um, uh, uh, you, you can for sure make the argument that you got some of the best doctors and some of the best innovations and some of the best hospitals and the best technology and the best and the best and the best in the United States of America, without question, right? Um, yeah. But... The problem is, is all of those people are trapped in a system that that is increasing the total cost of, you know, so for a start, all those people are trapped in a system where you have all these crazy incentives that don't make any sense. Mm. And so people will, and, you know, will abuse them. The overheads are unbelievable, right? And, and that just even just, if nothing else, the mental health load on the providers in this healthcare system is like, slowly but surely destroying the integrity of the system because they just pushed into the driven into the ground 100 percent agree so, with that yeah and, and so you, you know the way the way i tend to think of, and then of course you know you make the argument okay well like lots of diabetics in america it's like well that's not a fault of the system i'm like yeah but is it like if you had those diabetics that had a again this is a way generalization right and you mm -hmm. know this is a full i'm in full generalization mode but if you if <laughs> Every single one of them had access to a physician that that knew them, that knew exactly, the, knew their family, knew their history, medical history, understood the the mental health reasons behind why they've kind of gone, ended up in a situation where they've become diabetic. Under, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're made access to, they're able to put in place protocols that are known to help with people that are trending towards uh, a diabetic, uh, trending towards becoming diabetic. Like my thesis is that you, you know, and this is just one example, but my my thesis is if if you were able to fundamentally fundamentally transform the entire longitudinal kind of experience for people in the United States of America from a healthcare perspective, that a lot of those things that you could argue, hey, that's not the system, that's just people are, you know, don't have good diets or whatever, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue, actually, no, that, that, that the healthcare system should be part of that journey, the full holistic journey of, a, of, a, mm-hmm. of an individual's uh, walking through life. Yeah. And, you, and what you, I know is you get that, our clients deliver that, not uh, for the most part, right? And, uh, and you know, mm-hmm. and you can see it in the data. Right, like you know, and um, and so I think maybe I, I I I've I don't buy it. Basically, is maybe the point I'm making. I think we can have vast, large-scale impact on people's full health outcomes through life if we set them up for success in the healthcare system with the right people to help look after them and take and help them through their journey in life. But if you end up with the kind of wrapping the system and all of these crazy incentives and absolutely insane overheads and and it's complicated system. Like I'm a, relatively speaking educated, as a, especially with respect to health healthcare. You know, I actually struggle navigating the healthcare system, yeah. right? Uh, you know, because it's uh, I I struggle. I actually struggle, and I actually end up in such a I'm like, you know, what, screw. I'm not going to get the extra. Can't be bothered. Like, I'll just. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. And my doctor's like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, that's it's really intriguing perspective. I think. The think perspective, big. like let's transform the system. Think big. Let's just I, get behind. I hundred percent agree with you. I, I do think, and I think you've you've done a good job of convincing me that that direct primary care and direct care is, is probably the way to go. I uh, middlemen have have made costs skyrocket, and that will be the way it is forever. I don't know how we can get away from that. So taking the middlemen away. Uh, making the middleman less important, I think, is really important. I, uh, you know, or even like m- making the incentives of the middleman not absolutely absurd. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 if you look at the benefit advisors, right, they've made their fortunes on the cost of healthcare going up, mm-hmm. and now there's a new generation of advisor that's actually more almost like a consultant that's mm-hmm. coming in and working with the employer, saying, hey, actually, are there strategies we can put in place that will make the costs go down and yeah. make it better? Right. Okay. Well, you don't want to remove that person. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that that they're they're gonna they're sort of helping educate and you know move the system towards a better place. But yeah, yeah for sure, we want to remove the people or the middlemen or change the incentives such that people aren't making money to make it suck more. Right. Which is like <laughs> the insurance fee for service. Big oh, yeah. the big players like they make more money when we suck more. Like the cost goes up, yeah. like their profits go up. It's kind of simple. Very yeah. simple model. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a perverse incentive type of a system. I, I just think when you look at social determinants of health, I don't know what the percentage is, but how much of my personal health is dependent on the doctor I have versus where I live and my family background, my genetics, what my uh, you know my personal habits are. I, I just I think there's a lot we can do to improve the cost of the system. There's a lot that we can do to um, make the quality better. I just don't know that that's really gonna change the big numbers, and maybe it will. The big numbers like mortality and and the, the prevalence of, of, uh, of diabetes. I mean, we're addicted to processed foods, and uh, I, I don't know if the healthcare system, changing the healthcare system can really change that. I don't know. Yeah, listen, like, you know, there's a lot of problems to address. I don't disagree with that. But I do think, though, that, um, you know, addiction is a kind of, you could argue, is a mental health thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, And, yes, like, we're not going to solve all the problems in America. um, But I think we can for sure solve the obvious ones in the American healthcare system that are just looking at us kind of glaringly. You know, to me, it's just—I just don't. To me, to me, it's just obvious what mm. almost what needs to happen. <laughs> um, how to make it happen is is the complicated part. But yeah, that's true. Um, you know, even with the social determinants of health, right? The, the, some of the examples you made, like I can make the argument that just a, you know, if you just take you know sort of a random slice of population, and then you and you were to run an experiment where that entire random slice of population across all of those variables you just said. And you kind of double blind it, and you do a study where you have, um, uh, where you essentially have, you know, half the of that population with a, you know, stuck in the status quo system, and then half in a system more like what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I reckon you end up with um, 
well, you end up with huge improvements in costs and quality. And we see that actually, you know, we've got a client, one of our clients, um, we're many of our clients, but the one that comes to mind is, um, is, is, a, is say, Nextera Healthcare, right? They, um, um, where is the, I've actually got the data right here. Yeah, so, you know, they saved a school district of Colorado over 1.4 million after rolling out their, their offering. Um, and that, that's, you know, that they set up a bunch of NASA on-site clinics, and there's 72% fewer hospitalization claims, 62% reduction in surgical care, and 74% decrease in ER. That's just like the big things. That's not even talking about the small things. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and so if you end up with, um, I agree with you, like we're not going to fix everything, but we should at least attempt to fix the things that we can kind of theoretically have control over. Yeah. Um, and my thesis, if you do, if you run a trial, and we've seen trials like this run in a small scale, mm-hmm. you end up with vastly improved outcomes, vastly reduced costs, vastly happier patients, vastly happier doctors. It's like it's not triple aim, it's quadruple aim. So it's yeah. all the promise of value-based care without the price tag. Yeah, that's intriguing. And it, and I'm a believer. Hey, if if those are the goals, I, I think the quadruple aim. Uh, however we get there should be uh, what what we shoot for. Um, anything that that will not get us there, anything that we try that that's gonna increase costs or lower quality or make us less satisfied with the care that we're either providing or receiving, we should avoid. So uh, I think you you present some really intriguing options with this direct primary care. Hey, let's uh, it's been a, a great conversation. Um, Thank you for having it. What what can uh, if people want to learn more? How can they reach out to you? How can they reach out to Hint Health? Yeah, well, we we can be found at hint.com. So h i n t dot com. Um, we've got those of you interested in sort of this type of conversation and getting involved in this type of community. I strongly recommend our um, sort of flagship annual event, Hint Summit, which is actually coming mm-hmm. up soon in October. So you can go to summit dot hint.com um and that's h-i-n-t.com um and you can kind of at the you know that's really really awesome event which we put on every year um and um which we're very proud of um yeah. we um and you can also you know if you just reach out to me at um uh i don't know if i should give my email out on the podcast but but uh, you can find it's me pretty you. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm on linkedin i'm on you know on um, t- Twitter, all the places. Zach Holdsworth, Z-A-K Holdsworth on Twitter and LinkedIn. Sounds great. Well, Zach, this has been an awesome conversation. I look forward to having more conversations like this, and it sounds like the Hint Summit is is the place to be. If, yeah, uh, Hint if, Summit's where it's at. That's, yeah. that's a you know, fantastic event. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the time, and hey, man, keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.